Hello and welcome to Energy in 30. We are back with a special episode that breaks down the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 that was signed on August 16th. This is Joan Collins and we're airing a late breaking flash round episode to get out in front of this as it relates to energy efficiency, electrification, equity and DERS sharing early highlights for our audience. And this is David Meisegaier. Joan and I will be taking a pause for this flash round and handing the microphone over to Justin Rogers, Senior Director at ICF, who's going to lead a discussion with other ICF thought leaders. So if you're a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we think you'll really appreciate this episode. Well, welcome. Welcome, everybody. We have officially broke into the podcast studios and are taking over this week. Um, I'm Justin Rogers, Senior Director uh, at ICF in our energy and utility practice, and we're here to talk about what might be one of the most significant climate investments made by the U.S. Um, uh, ever, uh, in my lifetime uh, at least. Uh, it contains about $370 billion in funding for clean energy and electric vehicle tax breaks, domestic manufacturing of batteries and solar panels, uh, and pollution reduction. Very, very exciting times for anybody in the energy and climate industry and for utilities uh, across uh, the United States. Um, today, we're going to talk specifically about the, the specifics of the bill uh, related to energy efficiency, electrification, and distributed energy resources, uh, and really hone in on uh, uh, just some, some small components of, of the bill. Okay, so today we have some experts uh, to talk about some specifics of the bill. You know, it's very fresh, so there's going to be kind of new new analysis coming out around this, uh, and 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 I'm sure others are are doing analysis as well. Um, so uh, on the phone today or on the podcast today, we have with us uh, a few experts from our, our new homes, uh, midstream and regulatory affairs, and I'll ask them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Macy McDaniel. I'm a Senior Energy Technical Director with ICF, um, leading our uh, midstream program offerings. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining. Mark Pignatelli. I'm a director here at ICF, leading up our national programs for new homes. And I'm Erica Larson, Manager of Regulatory Affairs and Market Development. Awesome. Welcome, everybody. Erica, let's start with you. I know you've spent some time reading through the actual text of the legislation and digging through that. Can you Can you start us off by providing a summary of of the bill and how it's structured? Sure, yeah, so high level, um, there are really three things going on in the bill. Um, the first is tax stuff that doesn't have anything to do with climate and I didn't pay much attention to. The second is you know healthcare related, Medicare, Medicaid kind of things that I didn't pay any attention to. And then there's all of the climate stuff, which is the bulk of the 750 or so page bill is dedicated to provisions mostly dealing with climate. There's some energy resilience, some habitat kind of things woven in there as well, but largely it is is a climate bill and it has a lot of climate provisions in it. When you take those climate, just the climate piece of the bill, I break it up into two sections. So there is a lot of tax credits and deductions. Um, so that's one part of the bill, um, really hefty part of the bill that's gonna be administered by um, Treasury. And then you have a bunch of grant and loan programs as well. A lot of those are administered by DOE, but there's also some going to AG, there's some going to you know, Bureau of Indian Affairs. There's a lot of different federal agencies that are gonna be involved in those grants and loan programs for different kind of climate efforts. And I think um, most people 
uh, in our industry are going to make you know connections to this with other climate bills or, or legislation in the past. How does this compare um, uh, to those other to those other bills or acts that you know in the last 10, 20 years? Yeah, so this is much larger. Um, I, I I knew that this question was coming, so I spent a little bit of time trying to you know ballpark how much money is in this one versus some of the others that have come before. So you have you know, ARA around the time of the Obama administration had some climate funding in it, but it wasn't really primarily a climate bill that had about 90 billion um, in climate related uh, provisions in it. And then you have, you know, just recently IIJA, the Biden administration's infrastructure bill, um, again, not exclusively a climate bill, had a lot of other things going on in it. Um, that, if you want to be generous, um, you could say it had a couple hundred billion dollars in it for climate, but a lot of that climate money was not uh, climate, you know, uh, avoidance or emissions reductions. A lot of it was um, climate resilience investments to make our infrastructure more resilient to climate change, but not actually preventing climate change. Um, and another large portion of those investments were just investments in public transportation, which of course is very important for um, preventing climate change and investing in our public infrastructure in that way. Uh, but, you know, also would probably be part of any large infrastructure package very focused on roads, bridges, and transportation like the Infrastructure Act was. Now this one, even if you want to be generous to IIJA, it was a couple hundred billion. This one is, the estimates are more around 360 billion focused on climate change. And, you know, I would say that it's really tough to pin down that that number is, you know, exactly right, because people are having to make estimates about what those tax credits are going to do, um, how large they're going to be, how many people are going to take them up. So this one could actually be, I think, much larger than $360 billion, um, depending how you, uh, what you expect the future to hold. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the tax credits. We have, um, you know, we heard and, and we have on here Mason McDaniel and Mark Pignatelli, uh, from ICF, and there's um, a couple areas specific to to their focus on midstream and, and new construction. Um, uh, specifically, uh, we have um, uh, an increase in the tax credit for for new construction for single family and and multi family homes from a two thousand dollar per home tax credit to builders to five thousand dollars per home uh, to builders. Uh, and then there's a number of tax credits for uh, whole home retrofits, um, as well as program funding that will be coming out in 2023 uh, for um, residential whole home retrofits and residential electrification uh, that I think, you know, there might be some implications for midstream programs there for utility programs there. So, um, you know, I think just a broad question to everybody on 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 the on the on the podcast today um and uh but you know what have we heard if anything from industry partners about the impacts of this bill yeah justin great question this is mark i can touch a little bit on uh the 45l tax credit specific to new construction as you just mentioned and i've had a few conversations recently with a few of the top national builders and production builders uh and can share a little bit of uh, of, of what we touched on, I, I would just say to keep in mind for folks that are uh, listening in that although the 45L tax credit expired at the end of 2021, this has been around for years, I think close to 15 years. But, you know, this IRA bill is getting a lot of press. 
uh, for good reason. And, you know, this tax credit is now richer. Uh, there's more money, which is always a good thing. So I think in general uh, conversations I've had, this is good news to builders. Um, my understanding, too, is that this tax credit will be retroactive, not only for this year, but I believe for 2021 as well. So, you know, more good news for builders. You know, keeping in mind this, there are requirements, right? They have to meet Energy Star certification requirements to get the $2,500 for single family. And uh, there's also uh, a $5,000 tax credit if you're achieving the DOE Zero Energy Ready Home uh, certification. So, uh, again, overall, I think it's good news to builders. You know, this is going to help them look at their design specs, um, increase efficiency. These tax credits are certainly going to help offset some of those incremental costs to achieve above code high performance construction, coupled with utility incentive programs that they can leverage. Um, but one thing to note that I've heard is, is that, you know, this applying for a 45L tax credit, for example, it can be onerous. It can be somewhat uh, burden, burdensome uh, from an administrative standpoint. So, you know, it does take money to make money in some cases here. And I think, you know, a lot of builders that are looking at this do have to keep that in mind and, and make sure they can do this efficiently. And, um, you know, so that that's just a, a few tidbits that I, I thought I would share and I'll pass it off to Macy. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, Justin, like Mark said, you know, I think at least on my side of the fence with midstream and dealing with our manufacturer and distributor partners, while I think all of them have taken notice of these um, these generous offerings that this bill has brought to the table for them, they are far more focused right now on other things like supply chain constraints um and the effects of baseline changes and federal standard changes for them to be very focused on it right now um i think as time goes on um, their attention will turn towards these tax credits and how they can leverage them in their business um, but it, it certainly hasn't um, risen to the top of the pile just yet yeah and that makes sense um you know given the 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 supply chain issues that i think most people in the industry are aware of. Um, Macy, on that point, I guess, do you what what impact do you see on these tax credits, or or if any at all, um, or um, or even how even midstream programs can can best, you know, make use of of this this bill? Uh, what it, I guess what impacts do you see on on midstream programs that all the utilities might be running, or or even the role of midstream for utilities uh, moving forward? Yeah, I think midstream certainly will have an opportunity to take advantage of these um, tax credit offers. You know, it's going to be incumbent upon us to make sure that our um, trade allies are trained on the tax credits and what the opportunity is for customers who want to take advantage of them. Um, contractors tend to, you know, not be as um, willing to get involved in things that don't directly impact them so it's going to be an education process across the the trade ally network to get them to promote them to customers and and leverage that in the sale of high efficiency equipment that meet the criteria for the tax credits um, but as we all know in in tax credits aren't new and contractors um, aren't always um, willing to promote them, so we're we're going to have a, you know, a big task on on our hands to make sure that they're trained, 
Um, distributors and manufacturers are driving that through their business offerings um, for us to see a lot of uptake on them. And and Eric, I don't mean to put you on the on the spot with this question a little bit, but but as Macy was talking, it made me think of it. Um, you know, for some of the electric vehicle tax credits, I, f- I feel like I saw that there's some indication that there's the potential that that tax credit can be, you know, go to the dealership uh, and that discount given right then to the to the to the buyer of the electric vehicle. Have you seen or or, or do you think that that's a possibility with some of these kind of residential? Uh, tax credits that are uh, in the bill? I don't think that that was set up for in the bill for the residential tax credits to be given straight to a trade ally. Um, And I think there's going to be quite a bit of work for Treasury in figuring out how those point of sale tax credits, (laughs) I guess, are going to work on the the electric vehicle side. So they're going to have to come out with regulations to define that. And those provisions go into effect a little bit later than the sort of general tax credit for EVs. So I I think that's not likely to happen on the residential side without some legislative language um, giving direction on how it would work. Gotcha. Um, And then, Mark, you know, for, for new construction or new homes programs, what do you see as the potential impact, I guess, above and beyond anything you may have touched on previously? Yeah, you know, I see some short-term and long-term impacts here, uh, but just to give some some quick context for, for listeners, um, so one thing to note, 24 of the largest 25 builders in the country, and of those, the top 20, they're all building to Energy Star certified homes in at least one of their divisions. So that's a good thing. And you know they've been leveraging the 45L tax credit. So I think that's gonna continue to take place. Um, you know That obviously impacts utility programs. A lot of the new homes programs that, that we implement align with Energy Star and, and provide incentives for those projects that certify. I think the exciting piece here is really around the DOE piece with the zero energy ready home. So that's a new $5,000 tax credit. Of those large builders, only six of the top 20 our DOE zero energy ready builder partners. So I think we could start to see perhaps uh, more certifications at that uh, zero energy ready standard. Uh, Keep in mind that's 40 to 50% more efficient than a code build home. So it's not a a trivial pursuit. Um, So with that being said, I mean, I I do expect from a short term that this is a good thing. We're gonna start to see, you know, builders really evaluating their design specs, looking to leverage this tax credit and, and, you know, in addition to utility incentives, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it's going to be top of mind right now for builders, I think, <clears throat> you know, especially considering this is extended for 10 years, uh, the 45L. So, um, you know, I think for utility programs, it's an opportunity for them to to really look to deepen their relationships with their builders, developers, and, you know, not only educate and, and help assist builders with how they leverage these tax credits and, and apply for them and, you know, is there an opportunity to dovetail that with some of the utility programs already in place to make it easier for builder participants to leverage both tax credits and incentives? So, you know, the question that that I have is, you know, is this going to accelerate market transformation in the new home space? Are we going to see greater adoption of high performance building codes like the DOE or perhaps even Passive House? Uh, and, and another thing to note, too, come January 2025, uh, the tax credit will require Energy Star version 3.2. Right now, it's requiring version 3.1. Typically, with these version changes at Energy Star, it's it's another 10% uh, increase in efficiency. So again, it's raising the bar 
Um, and, you know, will that impact things like codes and standards um, and, and maybe looking at increasing uh, market penetration in areas where there's weaker codes? Uh, so I could see things like that uh, start to, you know, perhaps have an uptick and, and seeing builders maybe um, looking to, to exceed the, the codes that, that are perhaps weaker in certain states. And, and Mark, how many of, um, or, or if you know, how do utilities incentivize right now zero energy ready homes? Are, are there are there programs out there for that? There are, yeah. Yeah, one example that comes to mind, we implement several programs for utility clients in Maryland, and we do provide a $1,000 incentive for projects that do hit that DOE zero energy ready home certification. So I could see that also uh, becoming maybe more commonplace in some of the program designs and trying to incentivize that. Um, so yeah, the, it is happening, but not not across the board. And Erica, I want to um, maybe come back to you and and just uh, you know your your background is in natural gas and working for a natural gas utility. And you know how are how should gas utilities, if you have an opinion or 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 if you've heard, how are they thinking about? Um, uh, this bill uh, and 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 their role in it. Yeah, well, I think you know a little bit like uh, we were talking before about some other industry folks. Um, you know, not quite having gotten up to speed yet on the bill. I think that's probably true of most gas utilities. They're trying to figure out what this means for them. There are different things that they're going to be excited about, and other things that maybe present risks to them. So a lot of the stuff we've talked about today is you know it's efficiency focused but also electrification focused. And so it's really pushing that efficiency space into electrification. Um, I don't know if gas utilities are gonna be excited about that across the board. Now, some of them are, are looking into electrification and trying to find ways to work with that in their business, but this is gonna complicate that for them um, and some of them aren't gonna like it. On the other hand, this bill does also have, you know, different provisions that are gonna support use of hydrogen, support use of renewable natural gas in buildings. Um, and those are things that many gas utilities are gonna be excited about because that's a really clear way for them to start decarbonizing their fuel supply. So it's, it's I think, gonna be a mixed bag for them. Thank you. So as we end, uh, I guess the podcast, I wanted to get uh, a sense, sense from each of you, if you had any parting thoughts, anything that we may, you, you may not have had a chance to cover. Uh, around this legislation and its potential impact on on utilities and on their customer programs, whether it's you know DSM, whether it's beneficial electrification, whether it's you know other kind of customer facing programs they offer. Sure, yeah, it, you know I mentioned being able to educate the trade ally um, groups, but but I also think um, it would support utility programs and their customers to also focus some customer education around the tax credits because ultimately you know the programs can promote them the contractors can offer you know solutions to meet the tax credit requirements but it still lands with the customer to actually complete the paperwork to claim the credit um, so i think there there can be some attention focused around that through customer education to help more customers take advantage of them and the programs can support that. Yeah, I, I agree. Customer education and and awareness building, I think, will be a critical uh, path for utilities um, or activity for utilities to take. Uh, Mark, yeah, yeah, I certainly echo that as well. I think the education and, and assistance with navigating these tax credits is going to be important. 
I think utilities need to be thinking about um, really looking at workforce development programs in their DSM portfolios or, or continuing to evolve them and, and you know, trying to upskill the, the labor workforce, especially as we talk about you know, raising the bar in, in construction uh, baselines you know, and looking at the DOE zero energy ready home standard or, or passive house standards, um, you know, really being, you know, being able to have the workforce that can actually build to these really high standards. And then looking at incorporating incentives into their new home program design, similar to what I mentioned earlier with the Maryland programs, where we're able to incentivize uh, projects that do achieve that DOE zero energy ready certification. Uh, so I think that's going to play an important piece. And then even looking at you know EV readiness in new homes programs, we're already seeing this in several programs, but looking at incentivizing EV readiness, uh, charging capabilities, um, you know, one thing to note, Energy Star is, is kind of out ahead of this with their next gen certification program they're going to be rolling out in January. I think that's going to be a nice opportunity for utility programs to look at and, and perhaps provide incentives uh, for those projects that can achieve that certification. Uh, there is an EV charging capability uh, readiness uh, uh, as a part of that certification program. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think uh, to Macy's point earlier, you know, I think it is going to be important to help folks uh, kind of navigate those waters to to make it easy to get the tax credits from a from an administrative perspective yeah um and erica any final thoughts from you yeah you know i agree with everything that macy and mark just said about customer education to go get those tax credits customers are going to have to understand to look for them and to be asking for their accountants or their tax programs to get them that credit but at the same time, thinking more big picture, this law just puts a lot more money into this space all around. And it's mostly money that's not going to flow through the utilities. There are a few ways in which utilities might get some pieces of a grant or something like that. But mostly it's flowing directly to consumers, to dealers, to manufacturers, to home builders and other folks other than the utility. So that's going to shift the ground under the utility, I think, in ways the utility is not able to completely control or predict. And that's, I think, the challenge for ICF and for utilities right now is to think through the implications of that, that massive influx of money going to other actors in the space. How does the utility react to that uh, appropriately to make sure that they are getting the most they can out of their energy efficiency, their electrification, their EV programs, et cetera? Yeah, I think um, for me, one of the the top two takeaways uh, on it, really, uh, the first one related to to what you've just spoke on, Erica, is the indirect impact that this will have for utilities, and and I'm kind of coming around to this idea or thought that you know it really does up the urgency for utilities around grid resiliency and health. Um, you know, utilities that have not fully deployed AMI. I think should should begin considering that as they think about the impacts of more electric vehicles or distributed energy resources on their grid and the intermittent load that that provides. Um, and then secondly, you know, utilities that haven't thought through or or aren't far enough along on their distributed energy resource uh, electrification or kind of dynamic rate strategies should begin thinking about it now looking at how they can kind of test and understand what types of derm systems make the most sense for their jurisdiction and territory and those technologies, uh, outreach strategies to customers and how to engage customers and 
uh, and get them, you know, adopting dynamic rates uh, or adopting or, or, or using some of this distributed generation um, on the grid. Uh, and then, and then finally, I think um, fleet electrification or electrification uh, EV electrification programs in general um, are going to be an indirect impact from this, from the the commercial uh, electric vehicle tax credits that are that are going to become available, and the used electric vehicle tax credits. You know, there's implications for managed EV charging programs, fleet electrification. Um, charging infrastructure programs uh, and whatnot, and I think it just gives utilities uh, an opportunity to to you know, kind of get ahead of that and be involved in that space. Um, so yeah, any anything else from anybody else? I thought this was a a great discussion. Justin, just one thing to tack on that I meant to uh, mention too. Within the bill, there's a section, um, the assistance for zero building energy code adoption. So there's about a billion dollars allocated to states uh, in the form of a grant to really help accelerate uh, zero energy codes, essentially. So I think that's a, a critical piece as well, especially as we talk about new homes programs. And, uh, you know, part of that also includes, you know, really measuring adoption, uh, compliance adoption and, and things of that nature. So I think that's another piece worth noting here on the podcast. That's it for me. This Inflation Reduction Act really is a game changing bill. Thank you so much, Justin, Erica, Macy, and Mark. Uh, we really appreciate you taking over this uh, episode today and weighing in, even though it's early days of unpacking the bill. Jonah and I will be back for September's episode where we talk with Nathan Morey of Salt River Project, who will be sharing perspectives on how his utility is bringing it all together to meet their bigger goals. Intrigued? Yes. <laughs> I can't wait to have Nathan on and talk to him. And please, if you're listening, like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And here's to our next Energy in 30. Energy in 30.